Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report presented by Geico Mobile, the first podcast to bring you the local fishing report for Alabama's lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. This week's sponsor is your local Geico of Mobile. Hey y'all, did y'all know Geico offered water service? That's right, it'll cover breakdowns, gas problems, all kind of stuff like that that we may run into on the water. Hey, and you can even bundle it with your existing boat insurance to save more. Call Ron Davis of Geico Mobile and get you a quote, 251-445-0053. That's Ron Davis at 251-445-0053 or visit him online at geico.com forward slash mobile dash AL. I'm your host, Brian Sin, joined by co-host Stephen Wisdom. What's going on, Stephen? Man, tell me what's going on in your life, brother. Feed, feed, and more feed. Making feed. Yeah, that's why I said this last week. Can't wait for Wednesday so I can stop thinking about feed and start thinking about fishing. And at least live vicariously through these guys that we have on, but <laughs> that are going, yeah, that, that actually get to fit. That's right. But it' busy season for us. But man, it's going great. It's same up here, man. Just afternoon thunder showers, and they can be pretty intense. But loving every minute of it. Uh, no pun intended. But man, I'm good. Look forward to today's show, and and you know, see what we can find out about what's going on around the state. Absolutely, man. And I am uh, I am glad to be sitting here today as well. I've been on the road a whole lot more than normal lately. Games for Florida yesterday, and all the way back, and yeah. So I, I had I had more seat time than I wanted to have anyway. But so glad to be here. Excited about today's show and our first segment, man. Let's go. Let's just go down to Mobile Delta. Let's find out what's the happening down there. With- intriguing part of the state of Alabama, bar none. Let's figure out what's going on down well, there. Well, Captain Wayne Miller, I know this guy knows the answer. Captain Wayne, what's going on, buddy? Hey, man, I'm doing great down here. How are y'all? We are hanging in there, brother. We're not living the dream like you are fishing, fishing <laughs> every day. But uh, I look at fishing well, stuff every day, but I don't, I don't get to yeah. live it like Wayne. Uh, well, you know, the, the challenge right now, though, is, you know, we, we've kind of migrated into that time of year where um, – you know, you go in the morning and you, you better enjoy those morning trips because by about 12, 1 o'clock, you know, that heat is built up. And, uh, you know, being this close to Mobile Bay and the Gulf of Mexico, it's not a question of if we're going to have thunderstorms. It's just, you know, where and what time they'll get here. You know, this week, you know, the Delta, the the freshwater fishing from the standpoint of bass and, and panfish, you know, the brim and white perch everything's really been good you know our our all our rivers are down at normal pools that's kind of one of our big challenges down here is you know when we have flooded situations you know it, it really changes and alters you know how you have to approach fishing but but right now you can pretty much go anywhere on the delta so that's the good news you know the what what I've seen uh, myself personally on trips and, uh, you know, just fishing a few local tournaments here, you know, it's been taking anywhere from 12, 13, up to 16, 17 pounds to win the local tournaments. So, um, you know, we're catching pretty good grade of fish for the Delta. And for sure, most of the um, most of the bass guys have, have definitely, you know, transitioned to those summer patterns. So you're starting to see more and more people. They're, they're still running into the lakes and some of the, the backwater creeks and things to uh, try to get a topwater bite. But 
on up in the heat of the day, uh, people are, are transitioning out to those main rivers and, uh, you know, targeting fish on, you know, what we consider our normal summer patterns. Yeah, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's the delta's different. You know, we talk to these guys up in uh, other parts of the state, you know, in Gunnersville, of course, and Smith Lake, and obviously it's known as just an extremely deep lake. And I don't know if you were able to listen to the show the other day, but we had a guy up there talking about he, he, had, he had caught bass in 120 foot of water. <laughs> um, which oh, is, man. there's not 120 foot of water until you get out in the Gulf of Mexico down there, but where you're at. But when you're, yeah. you know, when we think about fishing ledges and summertime patterns, you know, a lot of us that are familiar with with those lakes you're looking 18 20 25 foot when you're in the delta it's a little different situation you don't have quite as much deep water or am i mistaken do you you know we do have some deep water but i mean most of our you know anglers when when we talk about moving out onto the main river patterns and fishing the deeper water you know vertical when we talk about deep we're talking about eight to twelve feet so it's a little bit different, but one thing that, that really comes into play down here, I think that a lot of people don't understand that have never fished down here on a tidal fishery, you know, one distinct advantage we have, um, you know, I, I talked to a good friend of mine uh, that fishes a lot up in the middle part of the state and the north part uh, yesterday. You know, he was telling me he fished a tournament this past weekend and and they dropped the water out on them about four feet, uh, you know, and really kill the bite. Uh, but down here, uh, they can't do that. I mean, the, the one thing that we have that controls our water levels, uh, obviously, are the river stages. But then it's a tidal effect. And the great thing about tides, uh, it's like right now, this week, we're on a great tide cycle. You know, we got a good, strong, outgoing tide in the afternoon, but nobody can control that but Mother Nature. And we have, I mean, we know what those tides it's, are going to be. It's predictable. So you can plan, yeah, you can plan around that. I mean, you can actually uh, plan your day, you know, based on what that tidal movement is. So that's one thing is these guys transition out to those river bites you know, it, it becomes really important to pay attention to the, you know, the tidal effect because you've got, you're generating current and anybody knows that bass fishes, man, once you get into hot weather, current is a blessing. You know, I mean, it definitely makes a big difference versus just fishing dead, still water. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, th- I think that is a major factor across Alabama because you think everything in Alabama is draining towards the ocean. And so, you know, current is a key factor, but I want to help the listeners visualize a little bit of the, so when we start talking about transitioning to the summer bite and these guys are all kind of in the summer bite, but I imagine that looks a little bit different in a Delta environment. So tell us about what does that what does that look like in the in the Mobile Delta when when these bass guys and have transitioned to the summer bite in the Delta? What does that mean? Yeah, well, you know, on some impoundments up in the state, I mean, what you'll find is you know people start 
you know, focusing on areas like boat docks, you know, that are on deep water and fish pull out and suspend on those. Well, man, you come down here and if you're going to try to fish boat docks, uh, good luck. (laughs) You know, I mean, we we just don't have them. So it's a completely different scenario from the standpoint of how these fish migrate out of those spawning areas and pull out. And one thing that, you know, as I mentioned, with the current, with the tidal effect, any creek mouth, ditch, drain, uh, you've got a, you know, a swing, an outside bend in the main river or, or some of the larger creeks. And anywhere you've got a good ledge off those drops in those magic depths from, you know, six to 12 feet. Uh, those are, are areas that you really target. I mean, we're not going out trying to throw spoons and, and catch fish off points in, you know, 40, 50 feet of water. You know, so it's, we're, we're really targeting uh, structure on these, these areas like what I just described. And, you know, for a large part, it, it is definitely different from fishing impoundments further up the state. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what, like, what's the go-to bait right now is the transition of the summer bite for you guys? You know, uh, with the water moving good, uh, you know, the, the Delta is a great crankbait fishery, you know, so, uh, we throw a lot of, um, you know, crawfish, obviously crawfish colored crankbaits down here and, and shad color. I mean, you can just, you can run the the main rivers, the points with shad and crawfish colored crankbaits and do pretty well. But, you know, a lot of times, you know, it requires just slowing down and, and getting that plastic out, uh, you know, either either a creature bait or, or jig and, um, you know, really working some of that, you know, structure on those um, on those bends. You know, it's it's nothing fancy. Uh, it's just good old fashioned fishing. You know, just just really getting in there, and it, it's not anything that that uh, electronics really help you tremendously on either, uh, because these fish are, you know, a lot of the areas they're really locked on uh, banks that you know it's really hard to even with side imaging to decipher exactly what you're looking at from the standpoint of you know picking out fish. Mm-hmm. So, going on a trip with you right now, this time of year, what kind of numbers and size can somebody expect? You know, I've been uh, been catching, uh, you know, the the top water bite early in the morning. The of course, uh, you know, I mean, it's getting light really early. I mean, it's you know, at five fifteen, you can run, and uh, that first hour is really golden. So. You know, we've been doing pretty well on top water and uh, and catching fish up to, you know, the three, three and a half, four pound range. You know, not not catching great numbers of those. But then on up in the day, uh, as we transition into the heat of the day and we move out to those to the main river bite that I'm describing, uh, really been catching, you know, anywhere from 25 to 30 fish. And uh, a lot of those will be in the, you know, the two. Uh, two and a half pound range uh, and the majority of those uh, are definitely on uh, soft plastic i've been doing real well with uh, you know baby brush hogs and even lizards um, the the delta is a 
fantastic place to fish a lizard. I mean, it, it works here year round. You know, that's kind of the numbers we've that's been looking at. That's a good at. day. Yeah, that's a good day. Oh yeah, man. I mean, yeah, it really is. And, and well, uh, you know, the in the afternoons right now, like this week, we've just got a phenomenal outgoing tide in the afternoon. So if you target those trips going out about 11, 12 o'clock and fish until late in the day, you actually increase those numbers uh, because you're better fishing right now has definitely been in the afternoon. But the challenge there is, you know, like we started the show with talking about these thunderstorms, and it's just so hard to get out and get a whole day in uh, without right. getting chased around, you know, but you know, the great thing nowadays, not only for here, but all over, is, you know, the apps we have for weather, you know, it's not not like the old days, you know, where we used to just get caught by surprise. Um, you know, now we can, we can be, you can be pretty vigilant. There's really no reason to get surprised with any bad weather getting on top of you. That's right. And it, and then if it's coming, you can get out of it a little bit or outrun it or go around yeah. it or, and, and hopefully get back to fishing. And, and, you know, one of the, one of the reasons and Stephen that I was asking about the, the, the size and the numbers, and I knew you would catch a lot of good numbers down there and you are, but in last week's show, we were talking about, you know, the, the difference in the lakes around Alabama's and some, and why some of them, historically and just have bigger fish in it you know and if if you look at the u.s and you go okay you know you go up to the midwest or and and then you work your way down it's like the further south you come the larger the fish get you know you go down to to south florida and 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 okeechobee and places like that you know they're known for for giant bass down there but it's the the delta's a little different i mean it's good fish but you know, like if you go north to some of there again, let's take the Tennessee River chain. It's got a lot of vegetation. It grows a lot of large bass, but you guys have a lot of vegetation too. So, Stephen, what do you, or, or Captain Wayne, either one, what what do you think makes that difference? Because you've got the vegetation in the Delta. Yeah, you know, well, we do. But, you know, the challenge there is anytime you have a brackish fishery, you know, what we've seen happen, and I mean, I've, I've fished it for decades, but what happens is we'll see it go through cycles. And one thing that really impedes a lot of, you know, really good growth on these fish is, you know, occasionally we'll have a major hurricane that just will have tremendous amounts of salt water that, um, you know, is pushed up in the delta. And it actually kills a lot of that vegetation. I mean, we've seen this happen time after time. You know, it's not every year, but every 10, 15 years, you know, we may have one of those events. And when it happens, it takes years for that vegetation to come back. You know, and it just the fact that it's a brackish fishery, I think, also has effects on it. But, you know, we don't see... You know, I can look back on tournament data from, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And, you know, even during the cycles where we had, you know, just really phenomenal fishing, but we've never been able to match up against, you know, some of the lakes like, you know, uh, on up further in the, in the state. So it's, you know, it's just not known as a big, for big fish, you know, being real prominent here, but, um, you know, numbers-wise, it's fantastic. 
Yeah, absolutely. I second that. And, and, you know, we can even talk with, with Norman from Southeastern Pond Management a little later on the show about that is, you know, when we're over in that side of things, it's all about water quality. And so any Delta environment, the closer you get to the ocean, the, just the water quality is not where it needs to be for fish to one survive for a long time. I mean, that's, that's a, you know, like he says, a hurricane to come in and kill a bunch of fish. All of a sudden you've just started your cycle over. And so these fish aren't really, they're not getting to the age they need to be. They're not the the water quality, which creates certain levels of zooplankton and bioplankton that it's the whole feed chain. It's the whole life cycle. And the further you get to the coast for these freshwater fish, it's just more of a struggled, stressed, not you know thriving life but fish can survive and fish spawn and fish, like you said the numbers are great it's just not an environment yeah. for a fish to grow big and and that's what yeah. you see in the delta yeah. well you know i i heard a um, biologist quoted one time uh referencing you know the the quality of the fish here on the delta and he made the statement that man these bass down here they're almost like little drug addicts they live fast and die young <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, That's good. you know but but you know one of the great things and you know one of the things that i probably enjoy about this fishery more than anything else is just the sheer diversity of it mm. uh, day before yesterday i ran out to the mobile river and hit the first stretch i hit on the river uh, and i was throwing a lizard first thing i caught within two minutes of dropping the trolling motor i caught about an eight pound redfish then I caught, uh, on the same bait, I caught a catfish, and then I picked up uh, a local-made bladed jig. A friend of mine here makes them. It's called a thumper, and I started throwing it, and I caught a big goggle eye. I said, man, come on, and I picked the lizard back up, and finally I caught a bass. But, uh, you know, that's something that, that we have here that, you know, might drive some people crazy. You're going to catch a mixed bag if you fish down here. It, it adds a lot to it yeah uh, yeah that is man it's it's a lot of fun and it, it's not always about chasing big fish i mean we get caught up in that because i think you know the most publicized and you know televised uh part of fishing is you know it's all about catching big fish and i think honestly that's why major league fishing has done so well is because they don't always focus on that and, that's true. and, and people you know people you know, like that. I mean, I'll, I'll take it back to my fishing career. I, I didn't have a very successful fishing career from the standpoint of, you know, tournament wins and doing well because I couldn't necessarily always find the five biggest fish, but it was all, and it was always a mental struggle because I was a good fisherman. I knew what I was doing. I knew what to look for. I knew how to approach new body water. I fished all over the country. I could always catch fish, but yeah. I wasn't catching the five biggest fish. So therefore, uh, I was not a good fisherman. Like that's the lie you believe in, right? And so, so yeah. Sometimes it's not all about big fish, even though yeah. hooking into a big one uh, is. But, um, but yeah, absolutely. The Delta is a very unique place, and it's always great hearing the perspective uh, from you, Wayne. And but uh, hey, man, thanks so much. If a guy wants to come fish with me with you, how's he get in touch with you? Uh, I can be reached at uh, 251-455-7404. That's awesome. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you uh, being on here, man. You always have a, a lot of great information, and you're always catching fish. So we, we appreciate it. 
And Wayne, man, be safe out there, buddy. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. Thank you. So with that being said, we've got Norman, uh, the owner of Southeastern Pond Management on today. And thank you for being on, brother. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. Dan, let's just go right to let's him Let's just today. go right to Norman. I mean, he's I, here. I love when we got a guy who, who, who knows a little bit about the, the art of the transition. He just jumps right on. So <laughs> you, you must have heard us talking about you on this show and heard our topic because you just called right on in on time. Yeah. because was it, scrambling. That's okay because we were actually just speaking about the Mobile Delta and, and about and I love that Norman from Southeastern Pond Manage- Management is on right now because it is a great transition from the discussion we just had about why it's such a challenge to, to catch bigger fish in the Delta. And it's, it really all, it goes back to water quality. And in Norman's world, and, and maybe we can dig into that a little bit today with Norman, in his world, it's, there's a trifecta of a successful pond management. And one of those things is water quality. So your water's got to be right to ultimately grow trophy fish. And so, Norman, we were just talking with Wayne down in the Mobile Delta about that, and it, it really does come you know, down to the fact that when you're in that brackish water, it's a challenge for fish. It's a challenging environment for a freshwater fish, even though they, they survive in it and they live there, but it, everything doesn't line up like it should to really grow large fish uh, in the Delta, you know, versus like the Tennessee River. And so, Man, maybe we can jump into that today, yeah, Brian. I think that'd yeah. be great. And 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 like I said, it was it was perfect timing for Norman to be on here with this part of the com- conversation. But Norman, you know, I know that you do a lot of stuff all over the state when it comes to the difference. And well, look, before uh, we jump into that, though, Brian, I know I know Norman. He's been off grid for a while, and uh, we don't really appreciate it because we ain't got a picture out of him. Oh, I got no, a picture. You I just, got a picture. Oh, you got a picture? I got a picture. Norman, before we jump into that, how you been, man? I heard you just been just catching snapper left and right, man. Where have you been? <laughs> uh, I, hey, we have been chasing them for sure. Uh, <laughs> and, in fact, I'm heading back down this weekend to get after them again a little bit. But uh, just fishing down in the in the northern Gulf, you know, the, the Alabama Gulf Coast, man, the king of the American red snapper. That's right. Uh, I was telling somebody the other day, golly, you know, 20 pound plus red snapper when I was a kid. I mean, that was something that got your picture in the newspaper. They're just as common as common now. It's the tip of the hat to the fantastic uh, management efforts of the fisheries folks that have looked after those fisheries down there. I think there's some other factors. You know, there's so much artificial reef people have put out over the years. Uh, it's just incredible. That the way that population has exploded, snapper fishing's never been better, as far as I can tell. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And, and for our listeners, if they not if they're not saltwater guys in, in Alabama, in the Gulf Coast, the Gulf of Mexico, uh, uh, red snapper season is basically the month of June. It rolls over into July, um, and, and there's select days that you, that you can catch them, but or go fishing for them. But it's it's an amazing time of year for you know, Alabamians who love to go to the coast and catch red snapper. And, and, and that's what we're, we're in the heart of it. And so um, if, if you ever get an itch to go, uh, you know, catch, catch some saltwater fish, uh, June is a great month to go chase the fish that us Alabamians, we take a lot of pride in it actually, because it is kind of a, 
you know, a unique area where you really can have a, a lot of success doing it and a, a really fun time. And they're great to eat and as well. Great to so. eat. And the good thing is, is that, oh man, yeah. the good thing is that Norman will take everybody that listens to the Alabama podcast, Freshwater Fishing Report. He's he's he'll take anybody fishing. Mm-hmm. He'll just load the boat. That's Absolutely, <laughs> that's right. Where uh, Norman, where, where where do y'all like to go out of? Where's kind of your uh, where's your home base down? Um, you know, Steve, I've kept a, I've had a boat at Fort Morgan Marina for so many years I couldn't even count maybe twenty years or and been going down there even longer than that. You know, for those that are familiar with that area, I mean Fort Morgan Marina has uh, transformed over the years. The hurricanes. Uh, had a little something to do with that uh and so it's kind of been built and rebuilt a few times and it's uh just changed ownership and it's thriving it's a great place you know you go check out fort morgan marina down there on fort morgan road but so that's where we go out of you know just out of mouth mobile bay out into the uh gulf of mexico yep that's so awesome i was actually recently down there and we had rented a camper from rvshare.com we wanted to try that out and it was on memorial weekend everybody camps on memorial weekend so we literally called hundreds of campgrounds and we were down to two one was just north (laughs) of fort morgan and one was just north of foley and we ended up getting into that one in foley because it had a pool and uh but but yeah that we almost just recently spent some time in that on that fort morgan beach that's but a great place. that's exciting to hear that it's thriving and doing well we maybe need to take a trip down there with the family and, Absolutely, uh, man. and enjoy it so but hey enough of that let's talk a little bit about freshwater and talk about just that season that we're in and and not only with our transition from Wayne with the you know down in the delta but even now that we're getting into the heat of the summer and water quality and water conditions being really so key uh for i think a successful um fishery maybe let's tell talk a little bit about <coughs> listeners about how, how do we approach that as as a so let's let you know let's transition from here I am a guy going fishing in a public fishery and, and maybe even, even calling a guide to take me out. And I'm running up and down the Coosa or the Tennessee river. And let's transition our thought process over into the, you know, you, you've got a private lake. Um, you, you've got some land, you know, family land and there's a pond on it. You got a buddy who's like, man, go, go knock yourself out. And, and you spend time there. So let's, let's transition to, to more of the private water and, and talking about, water quality and so how does a guy tackle that how what are some signs that that there's a problem what are what are some things that he needs to keep an eye on or 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 address yearly or you know at certain times of the year what do you see this time of year when it comes to water quality and the things that we need to do and the things that we potentially need to fix yeah so i mean you guys are hitting on something so key and frankly it's one of the big advantages to managing small impoundments in terms of being able to manipulate and control to a large extent the the water quality so to speak and and it's it's important to note that when we talk about water quality we're talking about it as it relates to something specific so we're talking about water quality as it relates to fish production and even more specifically as it relates to uh, bass production say the perspective is important in other words, you know, water quality as it relates to water for consumption 
or maybe even water for swimming is a little different than water quality in quotes as it relates to fish production. So and the beauty of a small impoundment uh, is that it's self-contained and you can really manipulate the quote water quality with just a few simple inputs and being consistent. And so, you know, what we always talk about, kind of the cornerstone management inputs for managing any small impoundment, whether it's an acre or 100 acres or 500 acres, is the ability to manage uh, the alkalinity, the hardness of the water, the buffer, the alkalinity, frankly, and the fertility. And for, for the most part, enhancing those two components, increasing alkalinity, because our water, uh, particularly in this part of the country, tends to be pretty acidic, a reflection of the soils that the water is sitting upon. And so we, we, we have to add lime or other components to, to increase the alkalinity and, and the fertility level uh, we can manipulate by adding inorganic fertilizer, just like you fertilize a food plot or fertilize a garden uh, or fertilize your lawn, uh, same principle. Uh, now, in ponds, in water, the limiting nutrient tends to be phosphorus, which is a little bit different than on land. A lot of times, we're mainly adding nitrogen. But if you if you look at that, you know, fertilizers, most people are familiar with the three numbers, triple 13 or 20, 20, 20. The, the middle number is the phosphorus. And so that's what we tend to focus on when we fertilize ponds. And the fertilizer we use most often has a little better than 50% phosphorus. So that's really the key to it. Hmm. But through proper liming and, and ma managing that alkalinity and managing and through fertilizing and managing the fertility, we can absolutely dramatically enhance the water quality as it relates to fish production. And the result is much greater production, faster growth, higher top end, just a more productive body of water. We can go into why that is, but that's the fact of the matter. Yeah, no, I'd love, I'd love to because th everything you just said, I get, yep. and I've, I understand, and I heard, and a lot of our listeners probably do too. But I often leave a conversation like that, and I ask myself, well, why is that? And so let's talk a little bit about the why. Maybe not going necessarily too deep scientifically. But let's talk a little bit about the why. why. Why is that such a major factor? And let's break it down why it's a major factor to grow larger fish and, and not just the health. Yeah, them. sure. Well, in a, in, in a nutshell, what, what you're doing when we, when we fertilize, when we lime and fertilize, when we enhance quality the, the, as it relates to fish production, we're, we're increasing the abundance of food but we're, we're impacting the very base of the food chain. So everybody's familiar with a food chain, you know, the, the small critters get eaten by the bigger critters, which in turn get eaten by the bigger critters, and, and that's no different in a pond. And so the base of the food chain, what we tend to talk about is the very bottom rung on the food chain in a pond is the planktonic community, whether that's what we call phytoplankton, which are, are plants, tiny little free-floating algae that give the water that green tint that makes a pond kind of look green, uh, or, or whether we're talking about zooplankton, which are the tiny aquatic insects that so many fish feed on and depend on 
to, to, to as a starter. And so everything really, uh, everything emanates from that. So if we can enhance and increase the production at the very base level, then we, in effect, control production all the way up through the top. You know, years and years and years ago, back in the 40s and 50s, down at Auburn, uh, was kind of a pioneer, and and he actually uh, it seems kind of simple now, but he said, look, let's let's determine exactly what the impact of of fertility is on small impoundments. So he did some experiments over years where he would actually uh, fertilize lakes, and then after a period of time, he would drain the lake, and he would just count and weigh the fish. Uh, let's see how how much difference what kind of increase in production we can create by dramatically increasing the fertility level. And he would have a, a, a control, an unfertilized or a series of unfertilized ponds. And so he could sort of compare uh, production. And, and this really became the basis of, of a lot of the things that, that we do today in terms of managing small impoundments. Uh, and what he found was it's dramatic. You know, it's three to four times, maybe maybe as much as 400% or even more increased production, uh, fertilized versus unfertilized. So it's a, it's a huge impact, and that's why we refer to liming and fertilizing, which sort of go hand in hand to increase fertility uh, as cornerstone management inputs for, for small impoundments. Yeah, and I've known and been familiar with, uh, you know, the, the fertilizing, the liming process in ponds and lakes. But, you know, to, to our listeners and to me too, but if you, a lot of people will will bring you guys in to fertilize and maybe they don't want to lime. And is one without the other? I mean, obviously, but you want to have everything right, uh, ultimately, but... If somebody goes and fertilizes their lake and the acidity is not right, have they messed up? Well, I'll say it like this. There's optimal conditions, and then there's less than optimal conditions. And so we'd like to create optimal conditions for water quality enhancement for increased fertility. And certainly liming, in cases where lime is indicated, is the most efficient way to do that. All that said, Brian... Uh, we can sort of overwhelm the uh, lack of alkalinity, uh, the, the more acidic condition by, with fertilizer. We can, we can put more fertilizer uh, than, we, than we normally would or than we would otherwise have to, and we can kind of force the issue. So we do that a lot of times, but it's not as consistent. So fertilizing a pond is, is a lot different than fertilizing you know, say your front, your your lawn, or even a garden. It's it's inherently inefficient. First of all, you have uh, a lot of you have turnover. You have water turnover. You know, the water doesn't stay in the pond all the time. So, we actually start fertilizing in early March, and and we and we make multiple applications of fertilizer all throughout the growing season, which is in in this part of the country. We we look at the growing season as March through about the end of October or so. And so over the course of that period of time, we may make 10 applications, 11 applications of fertilizer spaced wow. out, you know, wow. several weeks. And, and it's important to be consistent and, and to keep that, that phosphorus level up and keep that fertility level 
uh, and that plankton growth, uh, were, you know, at the, at the highest possible level. So getting back to cases where the alkalinity is marginal or, or below the threshold that we're looking for, it becomes more and more difficult to do that. So you have to make more frequent applications. You get these sort of boom and bust cycles of plankton. The lake will have a nice dense plankton bloom. It's nice and green. And then it'll suddenly crash and gets brown and then the water gets clear again. And so liming helps to to take those rough edges off a little bit. And it's it's something that we that we do quite frequently. And again, if we tell people all the time, you know, if you're not willing to lime and fertilize you're not really managing your pond. You know, those are such basic inputs that, you know, you, you need to spend your money there first. I'll say that. Uh, get those two things handled uh, and then go from there. Well, and I'll tell you, I, I, and I, I was having this conversation with um, with my, my buddy last night down in Auburn, and I'm going to go on and call him out. Uh, I'm just going to go on and call Scott Sullivan out. And, and some of you, some of you guys that are listening that are, that are baseball fans may be familiar with Scott. He was my roommate when I played ball at Auburn and, and uh, he was a, a heck of a lot better than I was and, and went on and, and had a, a really great big league career with Cincinnati and, and then uh, with Kansas City at the end of his career. But he's moved back. He's retired, moved back to Auburn. He's got a beautiful piece of property and an incredible lake. He's managing. And uh, he actually had you guys come in last year and, and test. And, and uh, they were like, or somebody, and, and, and told him that he needed a lime. Well, you, you just, you, you got to know Scott. I mean, Scott said, do it. I'm going to do it myself type guy. So he decided he was going to lime his lake, take y'all's advice, but he was going to do it himself. Don't don't think he necessarily did it right. He said that uh, he kind of after he got all this lime put out that he called your guy down there and the guy came out and he says Scott man you you can literally I mean and he said Brian he he's not lying you could take a stick and write your name <laughs> on the bloom that <laughs> was created and the guy was like Scott man your your lake's gone dude you're it's gonna turn over you're. Yeah, your lake's fixing to turn over. You're fixing to lose all your fish. You're done. Probably, probably. Den- I mean, you're like a day. It's going to happen tonight. Yeah, you're you're, you're done. <laughs> you screwed this whole uh, beautiful lake up. Yeah, yeah. And he said, "Man, he said, I'm I'm just press sitting out there. Just you know, I have really made a major mistake here by not letting these guys do it and try to do it myself." And he said, "Man, he said it was just one of those luck things that a major storm blew up." Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, and he's got a good sized lake. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a big, big, big place. And uh, he said, and the wind was blowing to the point to where it was white capping on the top of my lake. And he said, man, that wind mm-hmm. put the oxygen back in the water and literally saved his, his yeah. lake from turning over. So, <laughs> yeah. but he said, Brian, he said, I, I will tell you this. It made a dramatic difference with my fish he said it was it i nearly screwed it up but the lime that i put in he he fertilizes it but he had never he had never limed it and he's got a pretty good stream coming into his lake so it's it's a he's got a good water turnover there Mm -hmm. and uh but he said brian he said man i I, the lake in the last you know six months years he said the fish have have dramatically put on weight inside i don't know though if the story 
the story there is to lime your lake or to not do it yourself. <laughs> the story there is to not do it yourself because you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> so there. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, and, and and this is a this is a good opportunity to to explain something that's really you know we we run into this a lot. It's it's a little bit of a misconception or misunderstanding and. And it's simple in this respect. Lime can be tricky to apply. And the reason, whereas fertilizer is really simple to apply. And let me explain what I mean. So we get this question a lot, guys. So lime, it, limestone, agriculture limestone is nothing but crushed limestone. It's rock. It's solid rock. Okay. And, and they take that rock when they pull it out of the ground and they crush it into different sizes and they use it for paving roads and covering, you know, filling up divots and various other, you know, uses of, of crushed rock. Well, they crush it down to a, uh, a fine powder. And, and actually that, that is how agricultural limestone is defined. It has to pass through a series of screens and a certain percentage of it has to be small enough to pass through those screens. And that's what, that's what defines, uh, that's what qualifies it as, as as limestone. And so when we apply lime, if you think about dumping rock into water, look, water water will dissolve nearly anything over time, over years and decades. I mean, water is pretty amazing, but it's not going to dissolve rock very quickly. So if we take a pile of limestone and we dump it even into the head of a creek leading into a pond, Five years later, 95% of that limestone that we dumped in that creek is still sitting in the exact same spot. So the tricky part of applying lime is we have to spread it all over the lake because it doesn't immediately go into solution. It rains down through the water and it settles down on the bottom. And that's where a chemical reaction takes place between the bottom mud and that limestone. And that's where we create alkalinity and what we call buffer and that's where the the, rea- the chemical reaction takes place. So if you were to drain a lake a week after you limed it, it would look like it snowed on the bottom of the lake. And and it's very, very important to spread that limestone out like that because it doesn't go into solution. Whereas fertilizer, people say, well, why don't you have to spread fertilizer out like that? Well, fertilizer, particularly the fertilizer we use, which is highly, highly water soluble. It's like sugar or salt. Well, you, you put it in water and it melts. It goes into solution. It truly becomes a part of the water and it's not coming back out once it goes in. So once it dissolves, eventually the currents, the natural wind and wave action and current action in the water will spread that fertilizer all throughout the water, top to bottom. And so it's very, very different than lime. So that's a distinction that we get questions about a lot. Um, it's extremely important to spread lime over the entirety of the lake. And the only way to do that is to physically spread it. You, know, you can't put it in one spot or one end. You can't sling it out from one bank and expect that it's going to make its way to the other side the vast majority of it's going to sink right to the bottom, just like if you threw rocks in the water. And so that's why we apply lime the way we do. We pile it onto a big barge and we drive out into a section of the lake and we spray it off. And we come back and we pile some more onto that barge 
we go to a different section of the lake and we spray it off. And the, the objective is to cover the whole bottom with crushed limestone. That's good. I imagine your buddy didn't do that. No, no, I, I don't think. I don't think. I bet. Sully, I, I bet he, Sully did that. I bet Sully cut a bag open and dumped it in the water. Oh my! And God. did it over and over again. Did. I'll have to ask him after the show exactly what he did, but uh, uh, but uh, he did it wrong uh, from what from what our conversation was yesterday. But the moral of the story, uh, well, is that it works mm-hmm. and that it's it's crucial, especially. I would say probably even more so in a, and, and I may be wrong on this, Norman, but I'd say more so on a spring fed uh, that's got a lot of water coming into it because his, I mean, his water is running into his lake all year, and so it's running out the other end mm-hmm. through his, you know, drain pipe all, all year, and so uh, the water turnover there is pretty high, and so it's 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 a little harder maybe yeah. to to maintain the right the right water quality, but definitely he definitely made a big difference on this lake in doing those things typically the more flow through uh the more challenging it is to maintain that quality water in terms of alkalinity and fertility uh and and usually what that means we just have to be a little more hands-on certainly lakes that have heavy flow have to be lined more frequently for obvious reasons and fertilized for that matter as well because you get that flushing effect. So, you know, you, mm-hmm. you, you in, in, impart the positive impact, but unfortunately you don't maintain that water in perpetuity. So you, you have to, you have to replenish what's lost. And, and one other quick point I'll make too, and, and getting back to water, water quality as it relates to fish production, we get this question a lot too, guys, which is, you know, I want to, I want my water to be clear you know, we like to swim in it. I like to see in it. I think it's prettier when it's clear. And, and certainly some people, you know, have that objective and, and there's nothing in the world wrong with that. But what we tell people all the time is clear water, although it may be ideal water quality as it relates to swimming and boating and, and whatever activities that you're interested in, it's not ideal as it relates to fish production. And so sometimes you have to make a choice there. You know, am I, am, is my objective to grow fish or, or something different? And, and that's an important distinction that, that you have to make. So it's not a matter of this is good water quality. This is bad water quality. It's, well, it's, it's what's my goal. Mm-hmm. Well, that's right. So to, to somebody out there that, that that's listening, that, that has a pond that they manage, you know, the, the one thing that is that kind of surprised me and in this conversation that we've had is, you know, you're talking about, you know, I've always kind of and, and just other people that I've that have ponds that I've fished in and landowners are like, oh, yeah, you know, I, lined, I, I fertilized this, you know, I fertilized my pond this year. Well, and they're meaning we fertilized it one time this year. Mm-hmm. And I sure. think it's a surprise to me that. That yeah that and I'm sure fertilizing it once is better than not fertilizing it at all. But to really get optimal growth on your fish and to grow big fish, it's a multiple thing that you do throughout the growing season. Yeah, uh, I mean, and and the reality is putting in fifty percent of the fertilizer that you that is indicated that would be ideal. Uh, it's recommended rarely gets you fifty percent of the results. 
Uh, in other words, you know, there's kind of a threshold point that you have to get to uh, to get to get results, to get positive results. And if you only put half of what you need, then you, you don't get half the results. A lot of times you get no results, kind of like putting uh, half the amount of oil in a combustion engine. You know, you don't get half the performance out of it. You end up blowing up the engine. You don't get any performance out of it. So it is important to realize. So from that standpoint, Brian, I hear what you're saying. And to a point, some fertilizing is better than none. And there, and, and we do in some cases, uh, try to balance a little bit between heavy, heavy plankton production, strictly looking at fish production as the objective. And, you know, we've got some folks that say, look, I, you know, we swim in the lake, we do this and that. We, we, we want to avoid these really super dense plankton blooms. So there's some things we can do to curb the dense plankton production, particularly later in the summer. You know, we can cut back on frequency and, and application rate, but only to a point. You have to get enough to get those positive results. And again, look at what Dr. Swingle discovered and what we base all this on. You're talking about 400% more production. And I'm talking about at the base level. So you can imagine if you got 400 times more mm. food, what what impact that's going to have as you go on up the food chain toward the adult, to, toward the top end predators, the largemouth bass. Yeah, that's, that, that's really cool. I, Norman, I have two questions there. Uh, back on the line deal. So uh, the first one is, is I'm going to be the, I'm going to be the practical side of this. I'm not going to be the ex, you know, long MLB career owner, right? right, right? right. A guy who's just made, he blessed, he, he worked his butt off to get his property. He has a pond and he's just trying to make the best of it. And I'm hearing, man, lime 11 times a year and and, a, and i think that can maybe uh or fertilize uh or fertilizing this thing is yeah. constant going on you know help the listener maybe understand you know a cost structure not numbers but it's feasible correct it's feasible to be able to do yeah. um from from an expense yeah. standpoint yeah no no doubt unfortunately whether it's lime or fertilizer the cost of the materials is 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 relatively low so mm -hmm. yeah it's it's definitely affordable just as an idea you know limestone agricultural lime you could buy it for 12 15 dollars a ton maybe even less mm -hmm. so you know you have to obviously get it trucked in and that's some cost and then the application but yeah it's not we're not talking about it being cost prohibitive even yeah. on a you know a larger body of water and and same way with fertilizing the fertilizer we use, we typically apply it in about four pounds to the acre every mm -hmm. application. So, mm -hmm. you know, just to give you an idea, so if you make 10 applications in a year, you're putting about 40 pounds over the course of the year per acre mm -hmm. in the water. Well, this stuff is, you know, a dollar a pound mm -hmm. roughly, or even mm -hmm. less if we mm -hmm. put it out for you. So yeah. you're talking about you know, 40, 50 bucks an acre, uh, for the entire year, something like that, you know, yeah. in material costs. So yeah. it's not, uh, it's not as daunting or, uh, you know, as it kind of 
sounds to make that many applications. That is um, way yeah. less per acre than I yeah. expected. And that's why I wanted to bring it up because yeah. I, I, th- I thought it was that way. And when we talk about this process, you know, for our listeners, this is very doable. These numbers are not crazy. So it's the, it's the old, you know, it's kind of like in the spice world. Sometimes a little goes a lot of way. And in these worlds of fertilizer and lime, though you need to be doing it constantly, or at least during the growing season, it's, it's doable. It's feasible. These numbers are not huge numbers. And these, these in quote unquote ingredients, they're not super uh, expensive ingredients. These are not super specialized things. These are, these are basically core elements of the earth that we've, we've figured out how to uh, use to our benefit uh, on them. And so, and I'm, and I'm glad you're able to share that, that really put it, that in great perspective. Uh, it's very doable guys. It's very doable. And, and here's the thing too, you've already made the investment, mm-hmm. which is, well, first of all, you've, you maybe, maybe you built your, you know, had a pond put in and put a pond dam in. And mm-hmm. obviously there's big expense of that. But even if you didn't do that, if it was already there, You've had Norman and these guys come out and put bait fish in. You've mm-hmm. had them put your bass in. Mm-hmm. You've had them, you know, do all these other things. So to not maintain it is really short, not taking care of the investment that you've already made. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the other thing I, I wanted to bring up is, or just a question. It's a funny question. It's, uh, I want to, I want to get your perspective on truth or myth on, cause I hear it all the time is so, in your perspective, is it truth or myth that after you lime, you know, fishing is just terrible for a period of time? Like it shuts the bite down. Is that truth? Yeah. So, and I don't know if you're talking about liming or fertilizing, but really either one. Uh, th- this is my this is my take on it. And we hear fairly frequently. I, you know, we just fertilized the lake last, you know, Friday and. And it's going to ruin the fishing all all weekend or whatever, and mm-hmm. so there's not in my in my my take on it. There's not any 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 truth to that other than this. Anytime you change the environment dramatically, anytime you change the conditions that those fish are living in, and, and what I mean by that is, so we fertilize the lake on Friday, and you know sometimes we get a pretty quick change in the in the in the uh, in the appearance of the water. We get this explosion, you know, in two or three, four days of plankton and because it's feeding on the phosphorus that we just introduced to the water and dissolved in the water. And so over the course of a few days, the lake goes from, say, a visibility of 28 or 30 inches or maybe even greater than that, you know, it's measured by lowering something down in the water and measuring the distance in which it disappears. So say it's 30 inches. And we go from that to 18 inches or say we go from 36 to 16 inches. That's a big environmental change. I mean, it's, it'd be like, you know, you walking into your house and, and the lights aren't on at night, you know, as opposed to you've got light on. So it takes you a minute to adjust to it. And fish are no different. So they've been swimming around and, you know, with plenty of light and they're, you know, using their eyes and they can see and, and all of a sudden the lights get shut off. So I think those kinds of uh, environmental changes suddenly probably do impact the mm-hmm. fishing short term. And mm-hmm. I think that's what people are seeing. Um, yeah. And then they're equating that with fertilizing or liming. And it's not the actual act. It's not, now I've heard all kinds of things. Fertilizer burns their eyes. It 
burns their skin and all these <laughs> kinds of crazy things. And it's not that it's just, uh, Hey, you know, the water goes from it's an adjustment. Gin clear to sure. And it takes a minute. And typically, uh, I'll say this, I'd much rather fish in a, in a well-fertilized pond. You know, I think when you, when you take the catching fish in super clear water, uh, is more challenging, I'll say, than catching them in, in water that's got a little bit of a stain to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, you know, fish are a little more forgiving, you know, they don't see you, they don't spook as easily. So once they make that adjustment to those new conditions in the spring and summer, when we initially establish those plankton blooms, uh, through fertilizing, I don't think it's any impact at all. I think if anything, it enhances it. I hope that answers your question, Steve. That was a little more no, involved than maybe. No. Yeah, it, it, I did. You did. I wanted people to see. It's just like I use this analogy all the time when, you know, around around here at the warehouse, when it rains all weekend, we come in, we come in Monday morning, and it's humid out in the warehouse, and everybody's just kind of in a bad mood. I mean, you know, yeah. so it's like it, the environment changed, and it just changed their mood. It's not, this burns their skin or it burns right. their eyes. And, and so you need to, right. the, you know, the, you need to realize that as a pond owner that, yeah, the environment changed quickly and drastically in, in anything, a quick drastic change. It's not the same flow or, or experience as when it had been stabilized for a while. So just give it a couple of days and you'll be back to really seeing your pond even beginning to perform even better. Well, I've got another truth or miss and then we'll wrap this thing up. And you kind of touched on this in the in the last answer, but I've always kind of heard, okay, if you take your paddle, your three foot paddle, and you and you stick it all the way down the water, and you and you can still see the end of the paddle, you need to fertilize. Truth? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a, a, a standard that we sort of follow, and it's something that we've developed and honed. I should say we've more honed it. Uh, over the you know thirty plus years of doing it, so ideally, you know, ideal visibility uh, when with proper fertilization, we we love to see that water, uh, that visibility somewhere less than twenty four inches, and in a lot of cases even down to eighteen inches or so. That's hitting the nail on the head. You know, when we get plankton blooms that are super dense particularly later in the summer, that's when we run into worries about what, you know, what Scott was worried about and what we came out and, you know, you got this pea soup plankton bloom in July or August. Um, you worry about a disaster, you know, you worry about a plankton crash or turnover and they can cause fish kill. So, so yeah, that's a, that's a good rule of thumb. We, we probably like to see the visibility, you know, a little less than say 36 inches, but yeah, you're 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 on the right track, Brian. If you can see 36 inches into the water, you need to fertilize. And you know we like to get it down to, you know, 16, 18 inches or so. And and typically, what happens? The first thing we do when we pull up to fertilize a lake, uh, and we we fertilize literally thousands and thousands of acres on a on a route, on a fertilizer route. I mean, just like Kim Lawn goes and sprays your your lawn i mean we have the same sort of service route we drop the boat in the water we get out away from the bank and we take a instead of a boat oar or a paddle we use what's called a secchi disc it's a a little round plate about the size of a paint can lid and it's black and white 
quadrants and we lower it down into the water and we measure the point at which it disappears. That's the first thing we do before we fertilize, before we put anything in the water. And we, we record that. And if it's within a certain range, we apply fertilizer. If, uh, and, and, and in some cases it determines how much fertilizer we put. So, you know, there's a little bit of an art to it. And as we get later on in the summer, we decrease the frequency, um, maybe even decrease the rate. You know, we can get away with being a little more aggressive when the water's cooler and when the day length is shorter. So, as I said, over doing this for 30 some odd years, we've kind of honed it to uh, as much of a science as we can get it. That's good stuff, man. That's great information, and and uh, I know that that me and Stephen always look forward to to having you on and and talking about pond management, and 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 we appreciate you being on here. It's a great segment for for us for our listeners, and uh, man, we look forward already to having you on again next month, Norman. So, man, we uh, we are going to wrap up this segment uh, with Southeastern Pond Management, Norman. Uh, so, thank you for being on, brother. Hey, man, thanks for having me on, guys. I, I always enjoy it. I really do, and I appreciate what you guys do, obviously, and uh, uh, more than happy to do it. Look forward to seeing you guys soon. Sounds good, Absolutely. Buddy. And real quick, tell the listeners if they want to dive into a program like this, what's, what is the, the fastest route of connection with Southeastern Pond Management? Yeah, I would just tell folks go to sepond.com. Um, we have a great website and it's supported by a bunch of good folks. We, we try to keep it updated and, um, uh, there's easy access to us through telephone or email. We've got a, uh, we've got a help desk. Um, so I just encourage people to go on, uh, com and, and check it out and, and certainly reach out to us. Uh, if you have any questions, I'd be more than, more than happy to, to help you out. Awesome. Great. Well, man, have fun this weekend catching some uh, some red snapper, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, guys. Thanks, Thank you, Thanks Norman. Again. Appreciate you. All right, man. We appreciate Norman uh, again being on with Southeast Pond Management. Uh, man, another great segment. Another good show, man. I love hearing about this delta fishing as well. Yeah, man, it is. Uh, I can remember my times back in the when I was fishing competitively when we would be on a tidal system. It was uh, very intriguing and, and that much more difficult to figure out. So I love that the, the two segments really connected in, in the water quality because it is. It's very important. It's very important to understand that water quality you know you really break it down to water quality uh forage and genetics uh, are are three huge factors of any successful fishery and so i'm glad we dove into that and he kind of he did i feel like norman did a great job really peeling back the why of fertilizing and liming because um a lot of you you hear a lot of different people say a lot of different things and and so uh, it's very educational so but good show man yeah another good show and and so, guys, if you know, this is a segment that we're going to have on every month with Norman and, and Southeast Pond Management. So, if you're if you're a pond owner, or uh, even if you're not, and you just have a general question about that or anything that we do on the show, if you just have a question, you know, reach out to us. Send us an email at Alabama Freshwater at Best Fishing Report 
com. If you'll send us a question, we would love to address it on, on, on a future podcast and get you guys answers. So with that, man, uh, it's been a great show and we're going to wrap up this week. So please subscribe, rate, and drop us a review wherever you listen to the podcast. Uh, and if, if you'd like us to email us, you the podcast each week we would love to do that so head on over to greatdaysoutdoors.com slash affr and we'll send you the new show each and every week so that is a wrap steven thank you man another good show yeah, look man. forward to next week already we'll see you guys next week all right out This week's Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report was brought to you by Killer Dock. Check out the full line of all-natural dock-enhancing fish cleaning stations at KillerDock.com. And also brought to you by Geico of Mobile. Give Ron Davis, your Geico agent, a call at 251-445-0053 or visit him online at Geico.com forward slash mobile dash AL. And brought to you by Fish Bites, ready to go when you are, regardless of when you're ready to go fishing. This bait stays on the hook and the fish stay on the bait. Check them out, fishbites.com. And brought to you by You Do Outdoors. Check out You Do Outdoors on your app store, Google Play. It's a social media app for whatever you do outdoors. This episode was brought to you by Brian Sand with National Land Realty. You already trust me with your fishing report, so trust me to help you find or sell that next piece of property as well. Just give me a call at 601-383-2344. And also brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Become a better southern hunter and angler and pick up your copy today wherever fine magazines are sold or save online at greatdaysoutdoors.com.